And we are live! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Strong Tea. I'm Vicky. And I'm Katie. And if you haven't caught us before, then please do check out our other episodes. What Strong Tea is all about is talking about the subjects that some might consider taboo or controversial. And what myself and Katie aim to do is to talk about them, talk to the experts, bring some inspirational guests on so we can learn more and actually break that and demystify that label of being taboo. And today is no exception. We have a fantastic and very, very special guest with us. But before we introduce Naomi, Naomi, what are you drinking today? I, I've i gone off piece and I'm actually drinking coffee. I'm really sorry. My son threw a stegosaurus at my head at five o'clock this morning <laughs> and I'm just about I'm just about here still. So it, it's really strong. <laughs> strong coffee. It's fine. It's, it's fine. not Irish. It's very, very <laughs> <I promise. laughs> How do you take your coffee? Just like a just bit of milk? Or? Or oat milk. <laughs> um I'm I'm quite bougie but that is only because when I was breastfeeding my son he had a dairy allergy so I had to make the move and you know what I love it I love the oat milk it's so good it's quite expensive but there's it, it brings a richness to the coffee there you go do you, and do you do you just drink oat milk the whole time or is it just in coffee and have you just are you like vegan with everything else or is it oh it's just in the coffee mm. um, Maybe I should make the move, but for now, this is going to do me just fine. Nice. You know what? The really weird thing is I too am drinking coffee with oat milk, but it's only, wait for it, it's only today that I've started doing that because my friend who is vegan and dairy intolerant came over and I bought oat milk. She went, oh, it's lovely in coffee with with coffee. So I made her a coffee, put some oat milk in it and I was, oh, this is really nice. And that's exactly what I've done. Wow. So, yeah, it's lush. It's like I didn't get the memo. You did oh, not. Oh, babe. Oh. Next what time. You, you next time, yeah. What are you drinking? Well, I'm drinking a loose leaf tea because off of off of a tea podcast, you know. Uh, <laughs> I've gone for bird and blend lemon and ginger, um, oh. which says all the zest and zing you could want from a juice, juicy lemon and ginger infusion. So, you know, Did why you not? just publicly shame us? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, you did. Right. Yeah, okay. It was just shade, tiny bit of shade. Yeah, a bit of shade. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so before we get even shadier, um, I get the job today of introducing our fantastic guest. I don't know say why I get to say it today because I get to say it most days, which is exciting. But um today I'm very excited because you know, on some occasions we've had guests that we tend to fangirl a little bit over. This is my fangirl episode, and I'm gonna try keep my shit together but I, I I don't know if I will be able to um so just before I introduce our guest we did an episode way back when it was a quick brew episode and it talked all about why are we obsessed with true crime and if you hadn't listened to it please go back and do we were trying to sort of delve into as a bit of a debate about is it is it okay that we're so interested in social in true crime is it okay that we sort of want to know all the gory details and why is that and this episode leads on beautifully from there because we didn't actually come to a conclusion. We just talked about it for an hour and then we were like, we're no further forward. Let's do this again. Part two. Uh, but I think this is going to be much better than a part two. So I'm going to introduce our fantastic guest today. Today we have got the amazing Naomi channel. And if you haven't, if you haven't 
met or heard of Naomi before you really need to get yourself out more Naomi's the head of talent at Curve Media and she's a top TV producer she has produced some amazing stuff you might have heard of uh, Big Brother little show yeah uh, Don't Tell the Bride currently um, has just finished working on an incredible new show called Hot Yachts Miami which is a little bit of Selling Sunset a little bit of Below Deck just pure unadulterated quality <laughs> Um, and she's also worked on the right stuff. So she's got a really impressive CV when it comes to TV stuff. And she has branched out recently, despite having all that to do in her day job and being a mum as well. She's now got an incredibly popular podcast, which is where Vicky and I came across her and then stalked her until she said she'd come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so the podcast is called Real. It's a true crime podcast and it's available on all major podcasting platforms. And Naomi has just gone over the 1 million download mark which i have to say is super impressive and uh, we're not jealous at all uh, <laughs> if you have secrets please tell us <laughs> so uh, naomi before i just talk for this entire podcast please tell us a little bit about how you got into this how you created this thing that was going to be this tiny little project and is now this amazing worldwide incredible thing Thank you. Well, that was really nice. Can you introduce me to every engagement I ever go into? Because normally I am happy to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So, um, so I mean, it is actually two million now. I just I got that last week. I'm really, really pleased. Oh, amazing. And you know what? That's because of Australia. So shout out to Australia because there's been quite a big influx over there. And apparently, so the feedback I've got from Australian listeners is they love British accents and they love British stories so <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what that's about but I'm really pleased um so how did I get started well I work in tv as as you've mentioned and for such a long time I've had a real um a passion towards injustice and especially for people everyday people who are fighting for justice and are getting no closer because of whatever reason. It could be their social economic background. It could be their race. It could be their sexuality. It could just be circumstances. It could be lack of money within their local police force. So um, it actually started years and years and years ago. Um, I actually, I don't think I've mentioned this to you in our pre-chat, but my mum and dad had a friend who was murdered um, and she was part of the traveling community. So the I actually remember hearing somebody make you know a really awful slur um against her and she'd done nothing wrong it was a domestic violence situation and I remember my mum and dad coming back from the funeral and you know they were just so devastated it was their first experience luckily of you know thankfully they hadn't gone through it before where they'd had a friend taken it in such a brutal way and the same thing happened to me um in 2017 one of my good friends was murdered by her boyfriend um and it was it was just a whole I've, I've grieved I've had friends who unfortunately have taken their own life I've you know had my best friend childhood best friend died when we were 14 she had leukemia um so I've been through grief and I thought I knew what grief was but actually this is a whole other spectrum of grief because you have so much anger and so much frustration and then it's so prolonged because you have to go through the court system and you have to go through the trial. And so 
when I I would I remember reading some of the articles that were reporting on my friend and the headlines were so salacious there was nothing that humanized her at all it was a very brutal murder and I, I don't mind saying she was she was stabbed 173 times by her boyfriend so that's what they led with that was the headliner it was something like Essex woman stabbed 173 times and it just it was just text on a, on a screen or on a paper and I thought but how about the fact that she was an incredible preschool teacher and how about the fact that she had beaten cancer you know there was so much this other stuff that nobody knew about her and working in TV, you know, I've always wanted to do shows that make a difference. Obviously, you have to pay the bills. So sometimes you do the reality shows that are just, you know, they're, they're therapy in themselves for some people. You know, people like to get lost in things like Big Brother and Don't Tell the Bride and all of those. And but I, my passion really was documentaries. And I've done a few. And I actually, years ago, I used to work in maternity services. And um, I did a documentary called My Extraordinary Pregnancy, which was really fun. It's on TLC. And we looked at things, you know, women who were uh, going through surrogacy or women and men that were um, going, having quadruplets. Um, we even had quintuplets actually in one episode. It was amazing. And so we were going through all of this, but, and, and I really learned the craft of documentary making through that show but it wasn't completely where my where my passion lies. My passion was injustice and trying to help people without sounding too worthy, you know. So um, I, I acquired all these skills. And then I came across Serial, the podcast, which I think so many people have listened to. And actually, a lot of people will say it was the groundbreaking sort of podcast that really opened up true crime and it was done by the wonderful Sarah Koenig and she looked into um, a young man called Adnan Saeed who'd been put in prison for the uh, the murder of his girlfriend and he he's now been exonerated and that was hugely down to Sarah doing that podcast so that kind of got me I always I got really hooked and I listened to lots of different podcasts and I met a few podcasters through work through different events um, where some were making the crossover to television and then there was something that that got me I was looking in my local paper and I saw that a man called Terry Lubbock um he was on the one of the front pages and he was terminally ill. And if you haven't heard the name Terry Lubbock before, you might have heard of his son, Stuart Lubbock. Um, unfortunately, that probably won't ring loads of bells for loads of people. But if I say he was the man who was found sexually insult- assaulted and raped in Michael Barrymore's swimming pool, then the dots might start to join. So again, that's a real problem with our with our media is that actually it was very much focused on the famous person's house he was at rather than anything else. Um, now I knew Terry and I used to work on the Trisha Goddard show and he'd come on as a guest to appeal for information because uh, Stuart died in 2001. Um, the police soon ruled it a murder and there's never been justice for him. And here we are 22 years later and Terry fought every day of his life for Stuart's justice, you know, he would turn up um, outside Parliament, he would turn up at the police station weekly, he was an old man, and he was not in good health. Um, Stuart's mother had died, and he was the only one that really was stopping this becoming a complete cold case. 
And when I saw that he was terminally ill, my heart broke because I knew then that he was not going to see justice for his son. So I thought, what can I do? And it really played on my mind for a good sort of 24 hours. I just couldn't shift it, couldn't feel this weight. And I thought, I wonder, maybe I, it's very hard to get a TV show commissioned. You have to pitch to loads of people. I think 1% of pitches uh, or less than 1% actually make it to, to the screen. So I thought, how can I take control of this and do something? And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go and see if they want to do a podcast and I can edit and I can write a script and I can tell a story and I can interview. So they're all transferable skills. So I got in touch with Sue. Uh, Sue is Stuart's ex-wife and she was very, very close to Terry. And I, I sent her a message on Twitter and I said, look, I see you're, you know, campaigning for justice still. And I've, I'm so sorry I've heard about Terry. I know that he's terminally ill now. Is there anything I can do to help? And she got in touch within minutes and was like, please, can we meet? Can we meet for coffee? I need, I need help. I don't really know what I'm doing. So we met and we struck up a really beautiful friendship and we are still extremely good friends to this day. And I said, you know, how about if we do a podcast? And I said, look, have you got, <laughs> I said, have you got any information? She said, yeah. And she pulled out this bag and I cannot tell you that. I think I counted, there was at least maybe 12,000 pages of information. And they had all this information because Terry had actually sued Essex police because of the way they mishandled the crime scene. And it went in his favor, he won that. And part of suing the police is that they have to give over every bit of documentation that they have. So I was all of a sudden, you know, 48 hours after I sent that message, I was in my kitchen with, you know, Michael Barrymore's witness statement, the toxicology reports, the coroner's reports, the crime scene photos, you know, really. And I was like, damn, what have I got myself into? This is this is huge. Um, they'd recent just before that, there'd been a documentary on Channel 4 called Body in the Pool. And there was a lovely, lovely director called um, Tom who worked on that. And I sort of knew him through friends and I got in touch with him and he was like, you've got to do this. He's like, because the documentary for legal reasons had had to be taken off the streaming platforms for all four because of because it was still an open case. You know, it is actually back on there now. Um, and it's really worth a watch if you want to get all the details. And Terry was involved in that. He was well enough at the time. Terry knew that we were going to do a podcast, but he was not well enough to, to take part. So I managed to track down a local journalist who had recorded him in the past. And he gave me some recordings that he had. And we put together this six part podcast and it, it is just me I don't have anyone working with me I never have done um but I had Sue and she kind of guided me through and said you know this is the really important information but also I was really careful that I wasn't biased I didn't have an opinion I don't know who killed Stuart um but we know and the police have said it is one of three people that were at that party there was for, for any of the listeners that don't know there was nine people at Michael Barrymore's house that night and eight people left alive and it was out of three people that that could have done this to him. So I put together that podcast and the local press kind of jumped on it. And BBC Essex Radio wanted to interview um, me and Sue because we released it on the anniversary of Stuart's death, which seemed like a very logical thing to do. But it but the, around here locally, you know, it's such a big unsolved case that every year you do see it in the paper on the 31st of March every year. You'll see Stuart's name and and there won't really be much to say. And that was really sad. So we put it together and then Sue called me and she said, have you checked 
the the Apple podcast charts. And I said, no, I, I hadn't even thought about that. She said, oh, we're number 15. And I thought, wow, this is getting out. And I checked the downloads and I was so clunky with it at the time. I really didn't kind of understand what I was I was doing in terms of statistics and, you know, and, and I was just like, wow. And I was seeing the, the thousands and I'd, I'd called it, his name was Stuart Lubbock because I didn't want the emphasis to be on Michael Barrymore. He has had his say so many times. He's been on Piers Morgan's Life Stories. He's written his own books. Um, he's spoken about this to the media in so many different ways. And I was like, I'm so glad that we've finally given the family their own complete platform and so it kind of went from there once you've done it once and you're you might agree with me you're still doing it it's quite addictive isn't it so then it was okay well I better carry on and that's that's what happened wow it's I mean I think we we did we did touch on it briefly in our pre-chat that Vicky and I really like the way that you present these podcasts because it is very much with the victim in mind it's incredibly sensitive it's not sensationalized and it is directed about injustice and you know seeing things done appropriately you know because so many of these things aren't quite appropriate are they as we talked about so in terms of your podcast for people that haven't listened tell us a little bit about some of the other cases that you've covered sort of what might have been and it's I, I don't want to use this word favorite because it's it's the wrong term but do you have a you know one of your episodes that you feel particularly sort of affinity with or you know things that you found particularly difficult to to research into sure I mean anything that's uh you, you touch on the fact that I'm a mum and that that's very true it's you know if there's anything to do with children I find that incredibly hard because they're the most vulnerable members of our society and it's uh, the things that can happen are just terrible and um, I think the one that uh, I think my my true sort of heart always lies with the Lubbocks because I knew them personally but I, I did Claudia Lawrence's case after that and again it was for a very similar reason her father passed away and it was just her mother Joan was left on her own trying to find Claudia we still don't know where she is and for those of you who don't know um, Claudia went missing one day on her way to work she was a chef um, from York and there's been so many conspiracies and there was such a level of misogyny when people were reporting on her case because you know it did come out that she'd had affairs with a few married men and that was the leading story and what that ultimately did was alienate a lot of people who had previously had sympathy and that one, it, that one felt really hard because I remember chatting to Joan who, you know, she's just turned 80. So she's not a young person. She was 79 when we did the, when we did the um, podcast and she didn't know what a podcast was. And I just sort of said, it's sort of like the archers, but on demand <laughs> and about crime. And she was like, oh, okay. Um, and she, she said, you know, my main thing is she's, she said, but Claudia was painted in such a bad light. And I'm gutted that my daughter is a victim of something horrendous. Um, but people have got this image of her being some sort of floozy or that, you know, I, I mean, I've personally seen comments where they've said, oh, well, someone that mucks about with husbands like that gets what's coming to them, you know, and that is that is just so not true. And she was a lovely, lovely woman. You know, I've spoken to people that knew her and everyone just has lovely things to say about her. So regardless of what was going on in her relationships, that's not the issue here. The issue is that 
someone has caused harm to her um, and we don't know where she is. And there's no closure for Joan, who's just this wonderful, warm woman um, who's, you know, she's battled cancer and she's gone through her own struggles. You know, she's really been been put through the ringer. Um, and then I came across, I, I did them and then something very, very different happened. Also, oh, and I did name those, I named both those podcasts after the victim. So the first series is called His Name Was Stuart Lubbock and the second is Her Name Was Claudia Lawrence. And the third one was very different. It was a potential miscarriage of justice. Um, and it's and it is, and I've go back against everything I just said, it is about a child, but it's about a child, a 14-year-old girl that was uh, apparently, and this is, he has been convicted, he's a convicted killer. Um, her 14-year-old boyfriend, Luke Mitchell, did it. But then you read about the case and how they got to that conviction. And it is extremely, extremely worrying for anybody who might have to trust the justice system at some point. Um, there are a lot of red flags. There was no DNA. It's a very, very in-depth podcast. And again, I kind of was a bit overwhelmed by all the research I've had to do with that one because there was so much science involved or actually the lack of, but it was, but you had to learn a lot. Um, so I did that one. And then once I'd done that, you know, those those kind of six parters, seven parters. And, and with that, I did interview Luke um, in prison as well. So there's two episodes that feature him talking directly to us. And, and that that was quite a big moment. And Luke's got a massive following of people. He's got um, there's a Facebook group that's got like tens of thousands of people supporting him. They do petitions. They do process. Uh, protests and they're calling for an independent inquiry into his conviction and it keeps being turned down but I think the reason and it was a big bombshell that I dropped on the podcast is that the person that is responsible for deciding whether the case um, gets a retrial it's the Lord Advocate her name's Dorothy Bain and she's married to the guy who was the prosecutor in Luke's case so it's really a, not a very uh, for me. I don't find any of it secure. I find it really bizarre that it that it got to this stage. And they've had FBI profilers look at it, you know, pro bono, just you know, as almost as you know something something because they're fascinated in it. They're not getting paid to do it, and they've said, you know, we would seriously doubt this conviction. So. I took that on and and then there, there was a tiny bit of backlash because some people believe that, you know, if you've been convicted, that's it. And but, you know, we kind of know that's not the case. Um, there's the, the Innocence Project um, is, is an international organisation that has proven exoneration in so many different um, cases. So it was just something to it was just something I wanted to put out there. And it's done incredibly well. And then after that, I thought I love doing this. But actually, these big cases are so time consuming I mean they are months in in the making so I thought well, maybe I'll do a weekly one and that way I can cover a lot of different stories and um and then I found a local case and I got in touch with the son of a, of a victim who um he was appealing the sentence his mum was murdered and the the man was getting out after seven years and he wanted you know his sentence to be longer so uh, then I, I interviewed him and then from there on it just became a weekly thing and here we are and I'm so glad you found it because pod there's so many great podcasts out there like this one and you don't hear about them sometimes so um so thanks for the stars for aligning and <laughs> getting into your ears. <laughs>
Uh, I think where you're coming from is in a very different place to a lot of the other podcasters because you're coming from a place of uh, wanting justice whereas a lot of the other podcasters are coming from a place of as you said the annoyance of sensationalizing getting the listeners that shock value um so I think that's what makes your podcast stand out particularly for me is that because you're coming and it comes through about that injustice and you know trying to do the right thing because the right thing hasn't been done I'd like to go back just a little bit with what you said because it it kind of and I know this wasn't on the script but this question has just really (laughs) kind of come into my head about how we paint the victims and I know we said in the pre-chat we talked about Jack the Ripper's victims and I covered that in the quick brew we did before but why do you think some people paint the victims or put them in a light that is damning as if they deserved it why do why do they do that is it is it because it's just too much to take if they are innocent, like with the child cases? Why Why do people do that? It's really sad, but I think it's because it's, it's entertainment for people. Um, it's a pantomime. These are not people that they know directly, um, and they'll say the right things about it. But actually, the amount of times I've heard someone say, oh, you've got to watch this documentary, it's so juicy. And then I'm I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, but someone was dismembered. How did you mean literally? Or is this, you know, are you actually just sensationalizing this person's death? So I think it's like any kind of gossip. And even with things like, um, you know, there was there's been a couple of sagas that I can I can relate to that, have, that kind of went really widespread. Um so, for instance, I don't know if you remember this on Celebrity Big Brother, and this is this is not about murder, but this is just to show you how widespread things go. Do you remember there was a, a lady called Roxanne Pallet, and she accused uh, Ryan Thomas of assaulting her, even though it was on camera and he hadn't. Now, this was obviously a serious accusation, but because it was on Big Brother, it was really dumbed down, and. It went, and people were living for this storyline. They were living for Roxanne. Um, you know, she was saying what she believed happened. And then there would be these pictures of Ryan, like absolutely distraught, saying, I would never do this. I've got a daughter, like I'm on TV. And you could you could see that he was being pushed to the brink. And the amount of people I saw on social media were like making memes of this incident and stuff. And it was for that. It was then I really realized that actually nothing's really sacred. People will make a joke out of anything. There have been Facebook and social media accounts that I've seen where they are, you know, they, they rip apart victims of, of, of all different things I remember and I god I hate to bring this up because this was awful but there was a page I remember seeing on Facebook and I, it was actually the reason I came off Facebook this is a true story um it was jokes about baby P that was the that was the thing and there was and I started reading through it and it was the most disgusting website like you know the content that was coming through and I was looking at the pri- profiles of these people and they were a lot of them were just stupid young people who didn't have anything better to do. And I thought, oh my God, it, it gets to you then when you're like, okay. And you know what, with Stuart Lubbock, there have been some awful jokes made at his expense, um, especially regarding homosexuality, 
Stuart wasn't gay, but if he was, that doesn't make him, you know, that he that doesn't mean he deserved what happened to him. Of course not. So I sort of realised that actually no matter how bad of a victim, you know, how how awful a situation is, there are always awful people that will make a joke about you or 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 make light of your situation or talk about you in a derogatory way, mm-hmm. even though you have gone through something horrendous, whether you've been killed or someone close to you has been killed. People will always do that. So I I think maybe that's I think it's pantomime and it's awful, isn't it? Mm. It is horrendous. And I one of the one of the lines in that Stuart Lovett podcast that you that you put out there was when his dad was interviewed. And and I remember the headlines at the time. And I I don't I don't remember recalling anywhere near as much detail as what you've um covered. But I remember reading it and there being a lot of gay slurs and things on the front of the tabloids and thinking, that's horrible, someone's died. And you put in your podcast about someone interviewing his dad and him saying, well, he's not gay, but would it make it right if he was? You know, And all of a sudden that brings it back to it. It's just like you're writing all of this stuff and you're saying, oh, he's gay. And it's just like, well, hold on a minute. Even if he is gay, he didn't ask for such horrific things. And I mean, the detail that was covered in terms of what, what he went through was just awful. And I don't think people, when they talk about it, fully appreciate that. And I think that's that's a really horrendous state of affairs. And I think we talked about this in the last episode that we did about true crime, where it's all about sensationalizing the killer. And I know the murderer has not been found but in this case it's all about Michael Barrymore isn't it and that's the unfortunate thing because all this publicity is going out to the person that did it Charles Manson you know all the other horrible people that have been involved in these huge crimes leads on to my question and it's a question that we asked and we never answered in our original podcast but why are we obsessed with true crime where does this obsession come from especially women I I feel like there's one sentence that I came across once and I was like, yes, that's it. I think it puts a voice to feelings and and insecurities and worries that we have. Um, Sometimes it's about putting ourselves in that danger without being in danger. It's almost like a practice run. And also for women, we're very emotional beings generally. So we like to know the psychology, I think, behind people's actions how and also how that can be preventative for us but it's also it's it's so aligned with soap operas as well you know why do we watch soap operas because we want to live through life's emotions without it actually directly impacting us we want to kind of experience joy we want to experience fear and we want to do all this but actually we don't want it to impact on our lives so if we're if we're going beyond um you know this has gone back since the dawn of time and even I remember my mum every Tuesday women's own and women's weekly would come out and take a break and you read the stories on the front of those and they are horrific headlines you know absolutely horrific and they have been in circulation now for what 30 40 years and that's because there is an appetite for experiencing other feelings that you don't necessarily want to own, but you want to kind of experience them just for a little bit. 
the whole true crime genre has just grown, hasn't it? Because, I mean, as you said, Serial, I mean, I remember listening to Serial and it blew my mind. I mean, I I would have tried to have binged it, but there were so many episodes and I wanted to capture every moment because the evidence was compelling and she's a fantastic host anyway. She, The way she tells the story and the fact that she's actually got access to Adnan as well for the for the interviews. So that started the wave. And then we've had the Netflix series and, you know, conversations with the killer, including, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, the movie Dahmer. So over the last 10 years, it's really grown and everyone seems to be, you know, enjoying the exposure and getting involved. What are the pros and cons of this? Because now it's so widespread and everyone, you know, it's almost a household conversation, as you said, of, oh, did you catch, you know, that Ted Bundy movie? Oh, yeah, it's really good. What are the pros and cons of us doing this? Do you know what? I, I was at an ITV conference um, recently. It was like a webinar and they were taught it was about them doing true crime. And first of all, they said that the rise in popularity was because it had become more accessible. So not only could you can you see things on terrestrial networks but then came sky and then came netflix and all these other streaming services and then there was youtube and then people started making their own content and then there was podcasts and it's just grown and grown and grown and now social media i mean even tiktok my algorithm throws up some of the darkest things and it's all true crime so i think the fact that it became more accessible instantly meant that it was going to grow and then it has grown and grown and i think it's because I mean, the pros are that it's awareness. You know, there are so many cases that need justice. And often they are families who have never experienced anything like this before, you know, thankfully. Um, you know, say somebody's um, daughter, you know, has has been murdered or somebody's father has been murdered. And if there isn't justice and if the justice system hasn't, system hasn't worked or the killer's been too clever and they haven't been caught, then they are stuck. And the only thing that they really have in their power is to keep pushing their own message. And back in the day, it was the local journalist. And if they decided to do an interview with you, then great. But now you can take control of that yourself. So you give you give the victim's families a voice, which is fantastic, because we do know that the media can very often twist things and you can say one thing and it might come across as something different and tonally you know if you read a newspaper the tone is set for you in however it's been written whatever that journalist has decided to put if you're doing your own youtube videos or or tiktoks or facebook lives then all of a sudden you're humanizing your plight as as a, a victim or a victim's family member. So I think that's been really good because it's given a bit more of a rounded opinion um, and it's definitely created awareness of different things. You know, I, I'm, I'm always looking for um, tips on how to keep my children safe, you know, all the time. And, you know, especially when it comes, there's, there's a show that I am, um, I was really worried about watching because I thought, oh, God, it's going to be horrible. But it was really good. It's called Undercover Underage and it's on Discovery. And it's about a group of, um people in america who who basically um they put up decoy profiles of young girls and then they catch predators that way and they and then you see the law enforcement go in and it's kind of a bit of a joint venture and so by you know hearing these horrific things that some of these guys had done in in real life as well as on you know with these decoy profiles the the images they were sending them and asking them to send it was horrible these 
these decoys are like 12 to 14. But what I what was really good about that is there was a real take home for the viewer. And that was, well, actually, you know, you can keep your children safer on the Internet by doing this or this. And I've got a nine year old daughter and I know that in the next few years she's going to want TikTok and she's going to want all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, how can I make that safer? So there's an element of awareness. Um, The cons are kind of what we touched on you know everybody has an opinion and sometimes those opinions are just awful sometimes that you know there are troll accounts that put the most horrendous things under under comments on even on articles you know on some of the big news websites you'll see a horrific story being written and there's a certain website that I won't never give you know any sort of advertising to but you know you can put a, a, an upvote or a downvote on comments and some of the comments are disgusting and you see how many people are behind them. Um, and that's that's always really shocked me. So I think the cons are that there is always an opinion. And even if it's not come from social media, say it's a documentary, they they trend, they hashtag. And the victims' families, they'll be looking out for those hashtags. They will be looking, you know, God, if, if I was a member of my family and, some, you know, we've made a documentary, I want to know what people are saying about my family member. So this all goes back. So I think that's probably the worst part of it. I want to ask your opinion. And you always say on your podcast, (laughs) I'm not going to give my opinion. I know we touched on this very briefly in our pre-chat because um, you mentioned that there had been, in one of the cases you covered, there had been some calls to bring back the death penalty. And we've often, you've often touched on how you feel about the justice system now, obviously, you're covering some horrific cases and you've got some even more serious ones coming up. Mm. Uh, you know, you get exposed to things that we might not see. Like you talked about having the crime scene photos from that. I can't imagine what seeing that sort of content does to someone in terms of anger for wanting justice. So what do you think about the justice system in this country and how we treat people who have done wrong? I think that we have one of the worst justice systems in the world. I think if you look at the sentences we pass to people, there was one in particular, there was one um, one case I covered a few weeks ago and I called it, I think it was kill, prison, repeat. And it was because there were two people that had been done for murder, got pathetic sentences. One was out, I think, after nine years. One was out after 12 or 13. Both had had intentionally killed somebody. And then they shared a prison cell and they were both released and they went on to commit one of the most horrific murders that I've ever read about um, of a young mother of two children who have now lost their mum and it, it was just horrendous. And if they had been given full lifetimes like they should have done, you know, they took a life. And, and it was it was proven, you know, there was no doubt in these convictions. They had taken this life. And in both of their parole hearings, they said, oh, you know, we're sorry. OK, so what does that mean? That means that you get to come out and do it again. And now another family's life has been completely torn apart and two children are living without their mother and when they're old enough, they're going to be able to find out exactly what happened to their mother because they're going to be able to go online and search her name and they're going to see the absolutely brutal way that she was murdered. And that is just, it's just horrendous. 
I think our justice system is an absolute joke. And it's just, and you know, I know that I, I don't really have any, you know, massive conviction behind me to be able to say that because I know that often it's, it's not one person. It's just a, an organization that has to, you know, something's got to give somewhere, whether it's money or space in prison or, you know, being able to fund it or being having having enough parole officers to be able to deal with people you know I know that there's so much more to it and I don't have the answer but but it but truly from what I've seen and some of the sentences that I've seen past you just think oh my god mm-hmm. like it that's that's just another two fingers up to the to the victims families if you ask me and obviously that completely fuels why you're doing what you're doing absolutely yeah absolutely yeah I mean yes, the passion, does, yeah. 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 Um, yeah and obviously that kind of uh indicates the cases that you choose and things like that but one of the things that I love about your podcast is that you choose topics that other podcasters haven't really picked up on so one I listened to was about um bodies and it's, the way that you open it is brilliant is if you come across a dead body here is the right thing to do and you listen to a phone call and what we're going to talk about is what you don't do and it was a fascinating shocking horrific episode but it was some it was one I've never heard of before and it's a topic in the true crime genre that I've never heard covered tell me more about that what 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 makes you choose these different types of topics to to cover because yeah it it fascinates me do you know what it all it all came from being a true crime podcast sort of fanatic you know I would listen to so much and especially ones that would cover the psychology and what I noticed was that some of my favorite podcasts they you know they would cover the same cases that I'd maybe heard like five six times before and I'd probably skip that episode because I felt like I knew enough about it and I wanted I I wanted to I wanted a take home and actually working in tv when we when we pitch an idea for a show the commissioner will always say why now what's the rationale um has it been done before and if so how has it been done before if we can't do it in a different way there's no point there's something out there that people can listen to um and and also it's also where can I make a difference or give some kind of some kind of take home for for the audience you know so they feel like it's been a bit thought-provoking um so often I'll go off a statistic um I read reports like I mean my bedtime reading is is quite heavy I can't believe (laughs) I fall asleep actually um you know yeah I'm not I'm not reading you know 50 shades of gray or anything like that I'm reading (laughs) I'm reading reports on um on quite quite heavy stuff and there was there was one report um I read and that's how I got to that bodies one and it was um uh one in one in six people in inner city areas in America will discover a dead body and it over uh I think it's 38 percent of those will be a homicide or 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 a later result of violent a violent attack so I thought oh my god that is a horrendous statistic and I started looking into it and then at the same time um there was an awful case that a, a young girl called Amber Niven she was um she was murdered by her brother and that was absolutely horrendous but that was the main headline but what they didn't tell well what they did tell you but in very very small writing right at the end of every article there was another man in the dock with her brother 
Um, and he was a man called Stephen Corrigan. And he found her body. But instead of calling the police, he violated the body. And his DNA was all over the area. Well, it shouldn't have been on her at all. But if you can um, read between the lines, all over the areas that it definitely should not have been on. And so that was a real eye opener. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I really feel like we need to cover this, you know, and then I start looking into it. And then I saw, um, you know, bodies that have been filmed and put on social media for that. You know, this was a, a specific one I'm talking about was a suicide. So this poor mother had lost this child, her, her, her son to suicide. And then someone thought it would be a great idea to not only go and film it, which is just bizarre and disgusting anyway, but then to put it on Facebook. And then people were liking on it and commenting and sharing it. And it's so wrong. So that's how I got to that specific episode. But it it usually relates to either something, um, something I've 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 read, like a like I said, a statistic, or there's been a new law passed, maybe, or someone's fighting for a new law. Actually, tomorrow um I'm interviewing someone, which will probably be for next next week's show. And it's it's the sister of a girl that was murdered when she was 16. And the the minimum jail term that her, her sister's killer got was 10 years. So he could potentially be out. He raped this girl. He stabbed her 100 times and he set her on fire. And he might be out after 10 years. So they've got this campaign to make sure that, you know, the brutality of a murder is reflected within the sentences. He could serve his whole life, but... He might not. He might serve 10 years. So we're doing a case on that tomorrow. And that's because it's relevant now. She's got a petition up. It's ready to sign. Um, and I completely agree with what she's saying. Like That 10 years, is that is not enough for taking. And, and she was a child and he was an adult. He, she was 16 years old, you know, so it, it and it was premeditated. So all of that put together, you know, that you cannot serve 10 years for a crime like that. It's all that's horrific. Absolutely horrific. I was reading a book recently called Making Evil. And it presented a really interesting argument and it kind of encapsulates everything that you've been talking about, all these cases where just people are doing inhumane things to other people. Do you believe in evil? Do you believe people are either born or are evil? That nature versus nurture kind of thing, isn't it? Um you know what we see some real there, there is just some pure evil isn't there you know and I I always think of and this is the case I, I think I told you on my on our preacher I can just never cover because I can't I cannot get my head around it but James Bolger so he was killed by two 10 year olds can you were there circumstances was it living at home you know they were both from different households were they both just evil were they influenced I don't know and then you get these kind of serial offenders. You know, one of the cases I did cover was the um, the guy who who had violated corpses in in the morgue, mm. and you know he had done that to hundreds of people and murdered two women. You know, so I I I think evil is definitely among us, and but it's just very well disguised, and that's what's so awful for for us who are not evil. Um, is, is to know that that's walking around us can someone be born evil you know what I just I just don't know mm. I don't know but what I do know is that it's evil people are in more places than we think they are oh I like that 
Yeah. Or I don't like that, but that's, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we talked about this on our original podcast and I think it's interesting. It'd be interesting to get your take on it as a producer, but also with the content you create as well. We talked about why people are so obsessed with true crime and was it certain cases? Was it the way they were publicized? And we talked very much about things like Jeffrey Dahmer, um, Ted Bundy, Charles Manson. And we said, we're not sure if it's that sort of glossy Hollywood sheen that creates it, because actually, I don't think there was any episode that I listened to you without getting a bit of a lump in my throat. Some of them, I actually, I actually had to turn off one or two of them because I was like, I can't listen to that because it's it's heart wrenching, you know, because actually since I've, well, I've, you know, I'm a mother now and I think all of those people that have been killed are someone's child, whether they're children when it happens or not, that's a family member. And that really sort of gets to me. But I never associate those big high profile cases with that. And I and I find that a really weird, it's almost like they're in two separate boxes. Do you think it's something to do with the way that these things are produced and that are put out there? Or do you just think it's a sort of, you know, it's a bigger case that's been covered by, you know, the, the films and all sorts that makes it a bit, and I hate to use the term, sexier than something that's closer to home and that's really gritty and could be real. Totally. And you know what? I see that this goes for so many things. And I think this is this is probably quite parallel. I with my TV job, I work with a lot of celebrities. And what I see is I see the real person because we work together and they're real. And then in the media, they might be given a completely different personality. Um and that is horrible. And I know that that has, that has happened. Amanda Knox is a really good example of this. Um, so she she was, you know, arrested and then and then eventually, you know, found not guilty to have killed Meredith Kircher. Um, they made her this kind of sexy vixen. Um, they would constantly bring up the fact that there was, you know, some kind of sex party going on, which I don't think there was. I, I think she might have just had sex, but um, she was made into this, into this almost like this man eater, you know, this woman that was really domineering. But actually, you know, what the hell? What, what, Meredith's family are having to watch this, you know, this, this person that may or may not have had something to do with her daughter's death. And they're getting, they're having to see that she's being portrayed in the media. Almost, it's almost like a like a a killer starlet, if you like. You know, she's got this sort of sex appeal, and that is so far from what we what we should be thinking. Um, and definitely, you know, with, with some of the casting choices, um, you know, with Ted Bundy, I think it's Zac Efron, isn't it, that plays him? So he's known for being a high school. Uh, heartthrob you know high school musical you know wooing girls you know getting looking quite delicious in, in quite a few <laughs> things that he does and all of a sudden he's this uh this this serial killer who was always charming and that was part of his his you know his um ability to be able to to get his victims was because he was so charming 
so it's definitely in the editing and you know what I you know we touch on the fact I worked on Big Brother and things like that editing is very very powerful and you can edit in a podcast you can edit in a newspaper in a magazine you can edit a tv show um so you can actually kind of decide to make people look at how, however you want them to as the producer so that's why I always try and do it very non-sensationalist because I don't want someone to get the wrong idea and think oh my god well she's making that killer sound you know super sexy or you know mm-hmm. I, I never you know never want to do that and I it there's definitely a Hollywood gloss you're absolutely right and I think with the Jeffrey Dahmer case I know when I listened to that episode of yours and I really enjoyed it and I you know it was also you touched on the families of the victims as well and how you know they weren't consulted this came out this was it's completely blew open all their trauma mm. I have a slight weird weird take on that because um I always think if that was me um there is if you are a, if if you are related to a victim of a crime or even a murderer um you are going to be public property and that is horrible because you don't get a say in it you know we all know who sarah payne's mum is you know we know who james bulger's mum is um we know who um the holly wells and jessica chapman's parents are we know the mccanns because then they're now public property because of what's happened to them. Now, obviously, they didn't ask for that notoriety. They didn't ask to be a public person. But at the same time, if they are public people, then what I want to be is one of the ones that does it right. And there are so many people that do it so incredibly disrespectfully. And it, it's stomach churning. And um, even I think one thing you can do just, if you know, to for any of your listeners, just to have a look, type in true crime videos on YouTube and look at the thumbnails that accompany the text and you will see some really disrespectful and like, I know, you know, YouTube's got to be grabby, but it's visual, but there is a way to do it respectfully. There's a wonderful YouTube channel that I sometimes collaborate with called Truly Criminal. They're two sisters and they are so respectful and their thumbnails are so, uh, they just look polished, professional, but they don't sensationalise what's going to come up mm-hmm. and, and that is really actually quite rare and that's really sad to see so for all those families that you know that have had had a murder happen in their family or they've been related to a murderer because I think sometimes we don't think about them as victims as well you know um they don't don't necessarily know what their husband's getting up to or their wife's getting up to or their child and then they're thrust into the spotlight and then all of a sudden they're public property. So I think we just need to make it as factual as possible and not, I know that there will be actually someone that's done it really well recently, I think, and this is just an, just an opinion, but the sixth commandment, I don't know if you've watched that on the BB, on BBC iPlayer, but it's about, um, it's about a man called Ben. He was a young guy who basically, um, he, he came across a gay vicar who he sort of manipulated and he ended up poisoning him, uh, but he married him. And he was like something like 60 years older than him. He took all of his money and then he did the same to, uh, that was, um, oh, he was Reverend Farquhar uh, was his name. And then he did the same to an old lady a few doors down called, um, I think her name was Anne May Morton. And she was an old woman. Again, she was, um, she had never married. She was lonely. And this guy poisoned her as well and it was a really really big case um and 
they have done a it's BBC so they do have an obligation to the public it's taxpayers money they can't sensationalize and you know do which you know I'm sure they probably have done somewhere along the line and made mistakes I can't think of one off the top of my head but this one was done really factually and they had taken accounts from people that had been there and I'm not sure if the full consent was from both of the family members, but it definitely felt respectful the whole way through. Um, and it felt very accurate and it wasn't sensationalized. And actually, I found that 10 times more interesting than watching something that, that is so glossy in Hollywood that it almost makes a mockery of what's happened. Mm. And I think that Hollywood gloss and everything, although it, you know, true, t- true crime fans, are going to watch it. Katie um, gave me quite an education in the quick brew about murder paraphernalia and murder, you memorabilia. know, memorabilia that you can get. And honestly, I was gobsmacked. What are your views about that? And the people that, you know, because I'm sure there is a line, right, from just watching true crime, talking about it, to saying inappropriate things and reveling in it, all the way to, you know, purchasing John Wayne Gacy's flipping painting. What what are your views of these people and those kind of sites that sell these things? I mean, it's so bizarre, isn't it? I can't, um, I, I can't really comprehend it. I find myself saying this a lot. <laughs> I can't comprehend why people do this. Um, and this is definitely one of those instances. I mean, I can't, for the people selling them, I would definitely question their morals. I think that is, that there's no thoughts for the victims there at all. Um, what are they doing with the money? I'd like to know that. But I would, yeah, I would love to talk to somebody who has brought something and I'd like to ask them why what different you know so you've got that in your house but what does that mean to you you've got a piece of history I don't know but it's very bizarre it's very macabre and I don't think that's it's not something I would ever dabble in and I would hope that no one I knew would dabble in either I actually listened during um lockdown I think it was there's an actual podcast I think it's only about an eight part series and it's done by two girls and they do it very very well sorry girls women um about murderabilia and they look at all these different sites and stuff and it's it's fascinating because you think you know we talked we touched on um you know you can get soil from the Waco siege and I'm like I could come out of some guy's back garden do you know what I mean yeah yeah you're paying a hundred dollars for a bag of soil and actually it's nothing to do with it but yeah the whole thing is just really bizarre um obviously we've um touched on some of the episodes that you've covered already tell us what's next for you like in terms of you know I know some of the episodes you've got coming up if you want to mention anything about those but just like long term what are you going to do with this because I'm I, like I'm just sat there waiting for the next episode I'm like come on <laughs> release it <laughs> You've got you've got about twelve hours to wait to the next one. It's coming, and it, and it's a, and it's my first Australian one, and it's a real the twist at the end, possibly the biggest twist I've done in a very long time. So that's that's one to that's one to listen. But um, uh, Katie, I've got no idea. Um, I don't know if people want to listen. Then I'm really really happy to keep doing it. Um. I've got a, I've got an, well, it's, it started as an eight part. It might potentially be a 10 part series um, of an unsolved case that I'm releasing in November. 
um, I'm working with a, a very, very big institute on this. I can't say too much at the moment because they want to do their own sort of press statement about it. But what I will say is it's one of the most tragic, baffling and just unbelievable cases that I've ever I've ever researched. It's it's so sad. Um, and it's 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 there's a lot of lessons to be learned through it. Um, and the, the different lines of inquiry take us everywhere on this. And it's a real and this is my first one that I'm actually doing on the ground. So I'm going to to the the, the significant locations, let's say, um, and I'm working with seasoned professionals and investigators on this specific case. It's a very, very big one and it, I've got to do it right. And there's a lot of pressure on this one because um, it does involve children, not, uh, well, teenagers, still children, but but it's, um, it's a, it, the themes within it could affect a lot of people. So it just has to, this is the one that I've probably felt the most pressure to make sure that every single I is crossed and, uh, you know, is dotted and, and T is crossed because it's, it's very serious. It's very, very serious. Um, it's, it's incredibly intriguing and it's definitely going to be one for parents to, uh, to listen to, I think. That's coming in November. No, 1st of November. Yeah. Can we set a reminder? Yeah, she's putting it on a calendar. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, right. I I hate the fact that we come to the end of the episode because I want to just keep talking, but you know, all things must come to an end. Um, so Naomi, if you've listened to, I know you've listened to a couple of the episodes, and we offer all of our guests something called the final sip, which is your opportunity to leave our listeners with I, I don't know, some tidbit of information, a bit of advice, just promote your show which I think we've done lots of, but do it more. <laughs> no, you know what? I won't, I won't promote the show because you've done that really beautifully all the way through. So thank you. I think it's just when we're talking about victims, my my, my overwhelming hope is that we'll always um, never victim shame. We'll always treat everybody with respect and we'll always think about the families involved and the people that love those that are no longer with us. Um, and, and if you're, you know, if you are a killer or you're a nasty criminal, um I don't like you yes yeah, neither do we we do not endorse this behavior do not endorse it at if all you're, if you're buying really crazy shit from those murder sites stop let's not do that donate to donate to a charity if you have money to spare for that then maybe victim support is one that I often um like to talk about because they you know I think we also forget that crime isn't just murder there are some other crimes that will completely impact your life for such a long time and they're, they're incredible and I've had to call on them before um and they've they've been amazing so I yeah I would highly advocate victim support what we'll do is we'll put all those links in the bio on the website as well as well as links obviously to your website and and any other work that you would like to share with us absolutely thank you that's wonderful it's been lovely and thank you I'm so glad I found your podcast because I quite like some nice conversational tones you know while I'm sitting there rocking back and forth after reading something particularly horrific it's nice to have a bit of light and I know the subject topics are not always light (laughs) you do them in a way that's very interesting and does kind of take you away from the real genuine murky depths of of Mm. stuff that we we do listen to so thank you we'll leave all those deepest darkest murkiest depths to you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'll just keep listening. 
Naomi, thank you so much for joining us. It's it's been a it's been a real honor. thank you so much and listeners if you've enjoyed what you have heard here today as i said at the beginning check out the rest of our episodes and please feel free to support us you can go to our website on on our supporters page and you can buy us a coffee or a tea or anything else i don't know kombucha someone wants to drink it kombucha you remember the oh yeah yeah yeah, or a smoothie i do you know what i discovered the other day cookies and cream frappuccino from starbucks that's not a smoothie i'm just gonna put it out there no i know it's not a smoothie but i went from smoothie to that that was my progression that's where i want to get to yeah that's a bag full of progression sugar of progression and and the cream on the top yeah do you want cream yes put all the extra badness on the top nice nice and that's where we close this episode (laughs) so kate is off to starbucks now yep um thanks again for listening and it's goodbye from her and it's goodbye from me that'll work (laughs) thanks everyone for listening Bye. bye